I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, freelance writer and author, and I'm joined by Jamie Kemp, football editor at Optosport. Jamie, how's it going? Hi John, doing well thanks, how are you? Yeah, really good, especially with uh, the start of the season that we've, we've been having. It's been very enjoyable and um, I don't know, it feels as though everything that we said in the preview has, has sort of been justified. So not that us being right is important, of course, but uh, it's, it's very nice as a Leeds fan to, to experience the team playing as well as they are. Yeah, for sure. It's been a brilliant opening month. Uh, I've been out four of the five league games and I've I've never felt quite as at ease during Leeds games as I have this past month, which is a nice surprise. Uh, but yeah, just perfect start, really. Yeah, it's, I know what you mean about feeling at ease. It's just such a weird experience to go in, just feeling confident, feeling as though you know we're going to be the better team. And if we don't pull off the result, it's probably because we've been unfortunate rather than we haven't deserved it. So it's quite a nice experience to be in, really. Yeah, I think the performances in each game have merited a victory every time. So conceding from one corner against Forest just doesn't bother me a great deal, to be honest. We've we've been the better side every game so far. Mm. I mean, it bothered me at the time, but but that's only because I have a keen sense of justice, and we deserve to we deserve to take all three points. But um, in terms of the way that we're going to go through this podcast, we're going to do a sort of whistle stop tour of of what's happened in August. Uh, we're not going to try. We're not going to fascinate upon any of the games in particular, but we will um, we will sort of touch on the the main talking points from um, what went on through August, and then we'll move on to start talking about some of the questions that we've had, some of the questions that you've sent in, and we'll see where we go from there. So in uh, in August, what we've seen is we've had two cup games, um, the second of which was last night and saw Leeds uh, dropped out of the Carabao Cup to, to Stoke on penalties. Um, before that, we saw uh, Leeds beating Salford. So that's the Carabao Cup out of the way. It was interesting, I think, because um, it would, both both teams that we played against played with um, two strikers, which meant that we saw back three. Uh, but we'll talk about that, I think, more generally um, in terms of what was happening in the league. Beyond that, we've had four wins out of five and then the draws. We've said, as as Jamie mentioned, we probably deserve to take three points in all of those games. Uh, certainly the XG um, suggested that, that Leeds were unlucky to, to take a, a draw against Nottingham Forest. But... Um, yeah, the results were Bristol City won three, Leeds three. Um, that was the opening game of the season. Then there was the draw with Nottingham Forest. There was a, an away win at Wigan, which saw Bamford get a brace. There was the 1-0 win at Brentford at home, which saw Nketiah score in his league debut. Uh, and then there was the, the most recent game at the weekend, which saw Leeds um, take, take Stoke apart. Um, and, and, and that was all well and good. I think what we should, what we should do is we should start off talking about the fact that Leeds continued with their 4-1-4-1 formation at the beginning of the season, um, because they generally were playing against teams with a lone striker. So they needed two, only needed two centre backs. Um, and then we saw against, um, Stoke. 
the the emergence of the the back three, um, which took two different forms. Obviously, we played Stoke twice in in a few days. Uh, the first time Leeds played a three five two, which we saw at the end of the Salford game, and we saw at the end of the Brentford game. But then we saw it from the start in in the in the Stoke game. So, Jamie, let's start off talking about the four one four one, which merges into the three three one three. Um, are you happy with that formation? It's the same formation we used last season. We wondered whether or not there was going to be um, a bit more of a tactical shift this season. We wondered whether or not we were going to see three three one three as the the sort of default defensive um, lineup um, or the, the, the default uh, defensive structure in in any games. But uh, for the, for the most part, for those first three games of the season, uh, in fact, four games of the season, it was the the four four one four one in the defensive um, situation. So, what were your thoughts about that? We clearly were were dominating games, so there was clearly something was going right yeah I think I think we've been able to dominate games and control them equally as well in, in both formations so far um, the the style of play through those first three games was practically identical to the to the end of last season um, but yeah I've, I've been looking through the stats from um, our games last season compared to this season and there's there's really not a lot of, of difference in terms of style or overperformance underperformance in various categories i think people sort of laughed at victor Otto when his 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 vision behind the summer was that our big strength was continuity people saw it as an excuse for lack of business in the market and stuff like that but you know it's really showing now because not a lot has changed but the performances have, have just been that that bit better that bit higher quality we're, we're, we're controlling games up over a, a five-game period that I, I don't think we saw at any point last season not not to this degree yeah, and I think the stat that we put out on the on the Twitter feed it was a bit of a tongue in cheek stat, but uh, if you take into account the shots on target that Leeds have conceded in these five games, um, even if we hadn't got a keeper, so if all of those shots on target went in the goal, Leeds would still be unbeaten in the league, uh, and they would be twelfth position in in the table. So, so they would have drawn four four games and won one. So we're playing um, when you, when we talk about control, and that's something that I know that we'll talk about a, a bit more. Um, that control is is translating into just a suffocation of oppositions, uh, preventing them from getting into the penalty area to take shots, uh, but also preventing them from taking many shots at all. The majority of the shots that we're conceding are, for, are from outside the area. Um, and I think in terms of shots on target, we're, we're, we're at around 1.6 shots on target per game at the moment, which is a fairly incredible stat. So I was wondering if you had any um, suggestions about why the Leeds have suddenly become a lot more solid, at least. And I don't think this is necessarily um, solid in terms of, of, of counter-attacking and absorbing counter-attacks, but that has happened too, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But how do you think it's been the case that Leeds have just not given away anything in the way of chances to their oppositions? I, th- I think um, the addition of Ben White and Forshaw coming into the team this year, I think we just look a little bit, a little bit more adept uh, in possession in terms of controlling the game. And I think it's not it's not been a massive difference, um, you know, but I think just the effect those two have had on the, the way we can keep the ball in our half and evade being pressed by opposition, I think that's made a big difference um, all over the pitch, really, just the effect that um, those two have had back there. Um, but like you say, the way we've controlled the action in both boxes so far has, has been incredible. I've, obviously, we've noticed it attending games and watching them, but... I was looking through the stats the other day for something I've planned to write about and the domination in both boxes is incredible. I'll, I'll just give you a few stats that, that I've looked up. Um, so if we're looking at open shots from open play from inside the box, Leeds have had 45 in their favour and conceded six. So if you're looking at ratio of open play shots in the box in a game, that's over 88% in our favour. If, if you wanted to compare that with Swansea, who were level on points with us, we play Saturday... They've they've had thirty in their favour, conceded thirty five, which is a forty six percent ratio. So we have the same number of points as Swansea, but the, the difference in domination of games is absolutely massive. Yeah, that's in those incredible stats. Um, and yeah, I think good that you've mentioned both Ben White, who has been a revelation um, and is already being touted as young player of the season, if not the the full player of the season. Um, but yeah, interestingly you mentioned Forshaw as well. I wondered if you had any thoughts about the fact that. Um, well, as you mentioned it, we it's the first time we really played Forshaw from the off. Last season, we we sort of 
saw a long stretch of of, of uh, Foreshaw and Phillips moving backwards and forwards over that um, four spot or six spot, depending on, on how you do it, the deep line midfielder role. Um, and we never really saw that three midfield, um, which in- involved um, Foreshaw as the eight, uh, Phillips behind him and then click in front of him. We, we had Saiz for a while in the 10 spot. We had um, Tanandas a little bit in the 10 spot as well. But from the beginning of this season and after a long preseason, um, where they've been able to work on the on the on on the the Bielsa system, we've really seen we really seem to reap the rewards in terms of controlling the ball in possession, uh, and also Forshaw's I think been pretty good in terms of interceptions as well and, and breaking up um, attacks too. Um, let's move on then. We in, on the LF uh, on, on the LUFC blog Twitter um, uh, account. I saw you a few weeks ago. You you sort of posited a this is what Marcelo Bielsa will do if we've got to score a goal in 10 minutes and it was essentially you know the, the front three going all out bringing off uh, Hernandez and uh, putting on Costa and, and really going for it um, and pushing the, the midfielders up as well in the event though Marcelo Bielsa decided that he quite liked the 3-5-2 formation obviously a 3-5-2 allows him to get both Inketia and Bamford on the field so I guess my question here would be do you think now that the 3-5-2 is the is the go-to this is the the formation that we'll, we we will use when we need to get a goal late on in games? Yeah, I th- I think the initial thought behind it I might be wrong. Um I don't know if anybody's quizzed be else on this, but when I saw it away at Stoke that time, I I thought it was just a way of ma- matching up uh, without the ball. Uh obviously we're very aggressive man-to-man marking team so everybody has an assignment for for an opposition player for a game but um at the like you say it is a way for us to get Enketia and Bamford on the pitch together and then you can sort of shoehorn Costa in as as a wing back while keeping another attacking player on the pitch as well so it is a way for us to get just just more attacking bodies on the pitch and at the same time I think I think that back three in the second half last night the back three plus Phillips um was just colossal in, in shutting down any attempts from Stoke to get up the pitch. Um, you know, they, they just could never secure possession at all that second half. Mm. I guess we should differentiate between the three five two as it was played against Brentford. Um, it was the three five two that we switched to and then got the goal in the eighty first minute. That's when Enketi got that goal, and the way that we set up was with was was obviously with Enketi and Bamford as narrow strikers, and then and then Costa almost playing as a as a wide player rather than than ha- than having Hernandez who we'd had before, and we really turned the screw in that in that period. We really um, attacked the right hand side. Uh, we really attacked the space that we mentioned on the on the all stats we um, preview between Ethan Pinnock and um, Rico Henry um, and and for me that was a sort of very astute tactical move you know just break them down just through sheer volume and then take the risk that you know you've got you've got Alioski essentially on his own patrolling the the, the left hand side of the pitch with with backup from Phillips obviously in the Stoke game um, Stoke are playing two strikers so the back three is a little bit more um, pragmatic I think in that in that sense so um, I think the Stoke the Stoke game was interesting precisely because we saw the Three five two as a as a go to formation in a game, um, and I was I was quite surprised personally because I I didn't expect us to go to that so so comfortably um, when when an opposition um, uh, approached us in that way. But interestingly enough, last night I think we I, I've not seen the game last night. You were there, so I'm, I'm relying on you for this. But it looked to me from what was going on probably as though it was more of a three three one three um, w- without having the two strikers on. So um, how do you think that those two formations? Can Compared, given that they were both against the same teams, we saw the three-five-two against uh, Stoke in the league, but then we saw the three-three-one-three against them in the cup. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. It, it it's got a bit tricky in terms of differentiating these three-three-one-three, three-five-two. I mean, our um, analysts at Opta had the the league game at Stoke as three-four-one-two, like Chris Wilder style. So there's there's so many variations and ways that people are looking at it, but. Um, I, th- I think last night, I think there was probably less presence up front, but I think that had to do with Bogus playing as sort of a, t- a number 10. Um, and in that midfield, um, we, we seemed to attack down the wings a lot more yesterday. Um, but yes, yeah, I hadn't really thought about the, the variation between the two games against Stoke, to be honest, in that s- sense of formation. Um, I, th- I think, I think the idea was pr- pretty similar. 
to be honest. Mm. I guess the, the thing to mention is the fact that um, Barry Douglas was back for the game last night, right? Um, and w- as we've seen, um, we've had those two games where, where Leeds have gone into the 3-5-2 and in both of those games we've had Alioski playing the left-back position um, and then with with Douglas coming back, he shifted to the 3-3-1-3 or whatever we want to call it, 3-4-1-2 or um, some sort of variation on a 3-4-3. Um, I wonder whether or not that plays into it, whether or not it's simply a, a personnel thing, whether or not Bielsa thinks we can get more out of um we can get more out of this formation with 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 um Alioski playing in a certain way. We've just put a piece out on the medium blog, incidentally. Uh Callum Archibald has written a piece looking at um Alioski versus Douglas and asking how do you pick a left back out of those two? And the conclusion that he reached was, well actually they're both quite different and Often, when you see one of them played over the other, usually that comes with that comes with a tactical um, tweak in terms of formations or a, a, approach, um, and and that's probably the the best way to distinguish between them. So Alioski is a more direct attacking player; he's much more likely to try and get in the box, and much more likely to try and get direct um, assists. Uh, um, whereas whereas um, Douglas is a lot more of a build-up player, so he he supports Harrison a bit more. They look to work the the uh, the ball around and, and get it in the box that way. Um, interestingly enough, Douglas is perhaps a more classic defender than um, than Alioski. He's better, I think, uh, in the air. He certainly make wins the possession wins possession back in the in the defensive third more often than him. But Alioski is just a, an incredible um, presser. Um, wins the ball more often um, than than Douglas in the other two thirds, so the mid, mid, middle third and the attacking third. Um, and so I think that the, what we're going to see is, yeah, of course, I think Bielsa is probably going to prefer Douglas over over Alioski because I think he's probably going to prefer a player who is going to be able to help in the build-up play more we're going to play against teams who are going to sit deeper and going to require a little bit more guile to break down um, but there will be games this season where we will see Alioski coming in and he'll be used precisely for his his counter-pressing um, capacity so I think that that should be that should be hat tipped here as well in terms of in terms of um, what what happened between the two games versus Stoke um, as well I don't know if you've got anything you wanted to add to that yeah I, re- I read that piece this morning uh, it was really good I, I like the fact that you can sort of you can the the point that he made in you can see the difference in how Leeds are going to approach a certain part of the game by which one of them plays because I, I think this season there has been more of a, a tendency for control from Bielsa. Obviously Douglas has been injured uh recently, but Douglas definitely helps in that sense of control. Um whereas Alioski, the the second goal at Stoke in the league game doesn't happen if, if Douglas is there, so it 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 really is sort of pick and mix depending on our opposition and aims for that particular game. Well, let's start moving on to some of the questions that we've been sent through. We've already talked about Leeds being good at preventing goals and preventing shots this season. Uh, but your question from from Woody who asks, I've been trying to work it out myself, but not been successful. Has there been a tactical tweak this season that has made us less susceptible to counterattacks? Um, I don't know if you wanted to jump in there with your thoughts on this. I have looked through the statistics and obviously I've watched every game. Uh, most, most of them twice so I, I don't think there has been a major tactical tweak that's that's made us uh, stronger against these counter-attacks I just think we've been a bit bit more crisper and, and smooth in our general play um, obviously we spoke about the effect Ben White has had he's he's been incredible on the ball so far um, I, I love the way that he'll he will slow the ball down he'll it, it, keep it at his feet and sort of assess the landscape but when the time comes to pass, it's, it's never a laboured pass. It's it, you know, it's it's zipped in and it, it gets us going rather than I think Janssen sometimes last year would would hold the ball like White does, but then the pass maybe maybe a little bit lazier. Maybe that's been a bit harsh, but um, I just I just think we've been more dependable keeping the ball, especially in our own half. Uh, le- less prone to losing it for sure. He's playing a box to box role, but when he drops in to help the build up, he's. He's, he's very good. He excels in that area. He's, he's one of the midfielders in the league who gives away possession the least. Um, and I, sometimes if you look at a pass map, there's a lot of sideways passing on there and pe- people assume that's a bad thing. But Forshaw's just popping up all over the field, helping in different types of situations to make sure we can control the ball and ultimately control the game. 
Yeah, I think that would be my answer to, the, to that question. The, the 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 point is, is that because we're now able to field that midfield of of um, Phillips for sure, and then click. What we've been seeing is we've been seeing KP dropping in in between the centre backs in certain set situations. Often when there's two strikers, but he can he can drop in and help out. Um, but there's there's also the scenario where he where he can drop in into either fullback areas to. Provide a link between the the, the fullback and the and, and the centre backs, um, and he can also do some defensive work as well. Um, just covering for someone like Alioski when we have that, as we've said, that um, that slightly more exposed position on on the left. Um, and then what we're seeing is, as you said, Forshaw dropping in and almost becoming the de facto four in that scenario. So it, I think probably the the tactical tweak, if there is one, has simply been the ability to play Phillips and Forshaw, who are both very good at interchanging in those positions, um, rotating quite well. So it means that um, in terms of a in terms of a um, a turnover situation in particular, you always know that Phillips is going to be slightly deeper. He's going to be able to help solid things up, and then Forshaw is going to be able to drop in as well. Um, and, and so I think that we've maybe just got a little bit more solidity, um, a little bit more structure in those in those moments. So we're not getting quite so isolated as we were. Um, that would be my my uh, answer to that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the the other thing that we've. Um, the other thing that we've already we've already mentioned this a little bit, but the, t- the tactical shift to two strikers. Um, we got a question from Barney Stewart, who's who's basically said, "Are we seeing Bielsa learning from last season, um, and and taking off players to reserve their fitness, or is it because we've got more options f- from the bench this season?" Um, there's a lot. I think there's a lot going on here. There's there's questions about whether or not we had fitness issues at all last season, uh, which I don't think we particularly did. Um, there's also, I think, questions um, about whether or not. Um, the way that development occurs when it comes to Bielsa is is something that he sort of does a season and then sort of thinks, right, what can we do better next season? Um, for me, I think what's happened this season is we've seen Bielsa come in. Um, he's We know what he likes to do in attack. In defence, he's set up in a 4-1-4-1, which is a very basic uh, defensive structure. And we've not really deviated from that too much. Um, but I think what we're going to start seeing more now, and we, we have started seeing more now, is, is an experimentation with other defensive structures. So if you're playing against a, a strike partnership then then we're seeing the 3-1-3 three, three, three as a defensive structure as well as an attacking structure or as an attacking um, setup uh, and also the 3-5-2 as well so I think what 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 is important to say when you talk about um, Bielsa developmentally from one season to the next is it's not so much I don't think about him thinking what are there are there better ways of us doing things necessarily um, so much as him thinking right now that we've now that we've learned that system we can add another um, tweak to the system that allows us to be a little bit more um, flexible in games it allows us to be a little bit more manipulative of, of situations when things are going on um, and I think for, for me that's probably the best way to, to, to think about the difference between this season and last season um, what do you think? As for the initial question um, I, I think it is a bit of both of saving legs plus we have we now have options on the bench that you know are, are too good to be there and they need minutes so they can work towards eventually getting into this starting eleven, like Inketia and Costa. Um, but fitness-wise, I, I don't think it's that. I've I've noticed in every game where Click has been taken off, every time his number comes up on the board, he he has a little mini sulk. Obviously, he doesn't want to blow it up massively because that's not a good idea with Bielsa. But that just tells me that we're we're not suffering physically because that guy wants to stay on the pitch and you know keep keep enjoying the fun that we're having. Um, so I, I don't think it's either or fit, fit, fitness or just the fact we've got more options. I just think it's. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's a bit of both, really. In terms of, we talked a lot about the, the beginning of the season so far. You've, you've presumably seen a fair amount of, uh, of the oppositions that, that are out there in the championship by this point. Um, and it's an inter- a question that we asked on the radio show last week, but didn't really get into so much. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Who do you think are the, are the real challenges for Leeds um, in, in their bid to, to get one of the top two spots this season? Where are you thinking the threat's going to come from? I think it is... Um... It's tough to take a lot from the table uh, as it stands, uh, just five games in. I, th- I think the top ten teams are so. I can only, I would only feel comfortable saying probably two or three of those will definitely be, you know, top half playoff contenders. But I think the obvious one is Fulham, just just for the amount of attacking quality they have, and and the fact that their starting eleven is essentially the one that got promoted under Yukanovic. Um Obviously, Scott Parker is a bit of a question mark, but I, th- I think with the, the quality that they have throughout their squad, it, it would be difficult for them to underachieve r- rather than meet the, t- meet the target that that squad will have. Um, but s- statistically, I mentioned before about some um, open play uh, shots for and against, which sort of shows the... Um, the overall control that a team has in, in attacking and defensive sense. And if, if you look beyond the leads who are absolutely miles ahead in this category, the next, the next three teams are West Brom, Sheffield Wednesday and Queens Park Rangers. Um, I, I, th- I think I'd probably look at West Brom as the next team behind Fulham in terms of challenges. But I also think there's a lot of teams in that Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, Forest mold, which you can't be certain which one of them is going to emerge from a solid, dependable team to becoming a genuine promotion contender. But I think there is a, a decent pool of teams like that, which um, which will pose a threat in the overall scheme of things. Hmm. To what extent do you think Fulham are, are sort of like the Chelsea or Manchester United of, of the championship in that they've got an ex-pro who has got a wealth of talent available to him, but you're just not entirely convinced that he's going to be tactically all that? Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Uh Obviously, we, they've got a lot of pub, uh, publicity off that Millwall win, given the amount of possession they had, which was ridiculous. But um, I've watched a few of their games, and I, I saw I saw a team with a lot of talent that was still trying to gel, uh, especially even in the win away at Huddersfield. I, I don't think they were particularly good that day, but I just think as the season goes on and those players get used to playing with each other, if you have Mitrovic, Knockout, Kearney, Cavalero in your team, it's it's going to be very difficult not to re- reach a high level of play. Yeah, I think it was, what was it, 900-odd passes that they made in the Millwall game. And uh, I was looking at the stats for most passes completed amongst defenders and it's their two centre-backs clearly just passing it backwards and forwards between each other a lot. So I think they're, they're, they're obviously going to dominate possession. But they, as you said, the question isn't about uh, about just sort of needless possession or possession for possession's sake. It's going to be about who can translate those into dangerous chances. And uh, I'm not entirely convinced that Fulham are going to do that. Um, as you've mentioned, they probably don't need to do that because they've got players who can um, produce quality in, in moments where where maybe other players might not produce that same quality. So I think it'll be an interesting uh, season. It's nice to see, for me, it's nice to see Fulham um, down in fifth at the moment, four points already ahead of them, um, which makes um, makes me a sort of bit more confident because I think they are the team who really could cause problems. But yeah, I think I, I, I totally agree with you and the, and the other teams. I think West Brom are probably the the most likely to then cause problems. Um, QPR, I thought was really interesting because I'd, I'd noticed as well that they 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 performing really well in terms of XG. They they look quite good on the on the X points tables as well. Um, and then Sheffield Wednesday seemed to be fairly good value for their position at the moment as well. So it'll be interesting interesting to see how they do, especially with the, the sort of narrative arc behind them with their manager leaving uh, last minute. And um, I wonder whether or not now he's maybe a little, <laughs> a little bit disappointed that he's left a, a club who seemed to be doing well. But I mean, he's he's having his his, his own fun in the, in the Premier League at the moment. So, um, anything to anything to add to that, or should we should we move on to sort of general questions? Um, yeah, I'll I'll just add um, just a few sort of weird quirky bits. Cause obviously, there's there's teams like Brentford and and Swansea um, that, that that will have been tipped before the season to to push us as sort of championship title contenders, but. 
there are some really weird goings on at the start of this season, which I guess shows that five games isn't isn't much to to go off so far. But I don't know how Brentford have conspired to lose against Birmingham and Charlton. Um, obviously, they're way down the table now, but I, I can't see a, an instance where that won't even out and they'll start climbing the table. And then also you've got Preston, who are in the playoffs at the moment, but. If you if you look on the XG table, they've they've created round about as much as Huddersfield. So I, th- I think there are some dodgy results flying about at the moment. Um, although I would say in the case of Leeds, we've been we've been top value, so don't worry about that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. We again on the XG tables, we're we're flying, and it's almost embarrassing how well we're doing in, in terms of that. But that's I think that's all part and parcel of what you're saying. You know, if you're going to create fifty-five, was it chances in the box, you're going to have a, a, a stonking XG for um, value, and what was it six against or something? Yeah, that's going to translate into a really really puny little XG against. So um, we're doing the thing. We're doing things right. We're we're playing the game in a way that um, will will generally serve you well and, and I think that's why we're both feeling so confident I think at this point of the season yeah I, I think you have to keep it in mind that maybe maybe on Saturday maybe in two or three weeks time we'll come up against an opponent that just for whatever reason whether it's system performance underperformance from ourselves somebody will f- figure us out at some point but over the course of the season if if these are your baseline numbers and base and baseline performance we're going to be fine. There's no need to panic if we drop points somewhere. It's all about performance and for the moment we've been pretty spectacular. I would say that actually, interestingly enough, I think one of the teams who maybe caused us the most problem were Wigan again. Um, I think I think what um, Paul Cook does really well, I've got his name right, I got it wrong. Is that his name, Paul Cook? Yeah. <laughs> I think I referred to him as something else on one of the in in the in the tactics and um, previews and reviews. I always spell someone's name wrong, but yeah, Paul Cook is a good manager. The way that they set up was in a a sort of four four two, but it was almost like a, a very, it was a very narrow four four two. So it was almost a four two two two, which is what was used by RB Leipzig when they first got into the Bundesliga. And the way that they would play is they would play quite direct football. They'd aim for a big striker who would look to flick it onto a a pacey um, uh, counterpart. Uh, if the ball wasn't won back, then um, or wasn't um, flicked on, um, and then and then won by the the other striker. You then you instigate a, a sort of very intense counter press at that moment, try and win the ball back, and then try and beat the the, the opposition um, just in that in that in that uh, point at which they're not able to get defensive solidity. So I think that's probably the best way of of beating Leeds at the moment. At least it offers a way of um, just trying to break up their possession from deep. And we've not really seen anyone do that. The the other option that we've seen actually has been. Brentford who had a sort of mid block they allowed Leeds to have pressure uh, possession at the back uh, invited them into certain areas and then they um, instigated their more intense press um, and that caused Leeds problems obviously at the beginning too so it all depends what your team is set up to do if you've got big strikers if you have got a midfield who can and can, can offer a fairly intense press it, it'd be worth I think doing that that sort of higher higher um, Gagan press but then if you have a team who are very good um, in, in, in defensive structures and very organised then I probably do the the mid block um but yeah it'll be interesting to see who figures us out and how they do it um let's move on to the general questions uh question from tom woodhead we've got two questions here one about one about indispensable players and the other one about i suppose dispensable players so tom woodhead asks who is the most indispensable player in the squad i.e who would we miss the most should they suffer a long-term injury he's said i guess pablo is the obvious answer but i think there are cases for phillips casilla and white too so how are you going to answer that one uh the first obviously the first name like you said would be Pablo just because he's he's been the best creative player in the league since Bielsa got here. Um, I think if if Pablo goes down, then he's he's the one player that then forces um, the biggest sort of transition between how we're gonna play because you're assuming Costa would then come in and then we we'd become more of a more of a a, a wing based team. Um, maybe perhaps sort of like Man City with when they play Sané and Sterling. Um, rather than when somebody like Bernardo Silva plays in the control of the game or they can find more incisive passes. Um, so Pablo going down, I think would, would force the biggest, uh, adaptation attacking wise. But I'd also look at, um, centre back just because how good White and Cooper have been so far and the fact that is the position 
where sort of the next man up is is the biggest downgrade positional wise. I think most people would agree. Um, yeah, th- that that axis of White, Cooper, and Phillips defensively and in possession so far have been top class. So you know, every passing game that comes, the, the longer we can keep that trio together, I find it hard to see us see anyone causing us massive problems. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think it, in, it's instructive that Phillips was played from the off yesterday. You know, I think you, you're not really going to see you're not really going to see anyone else filling in for that role quite so well as Phillips. Um, there's been sort of flashes that that McCallum might be good at that, but it's obviously too too soon to tell, and you don't want to risk um, a league game really with with, with McCallum there. And so I think what we would see is probably Forshaw dropping, and and so that I think would impact not only the defensive structure but also the the the, the possession and the control that we've been talking about. Um, I'm too much of a Forshaw for stand to 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 not mention him, but I do think I do think that he part of the reason why we've been so good this season has been that we've had him in that in that position from the off um, but again it's one of those things where so much of the, it's all about the system um, and the reason why we're so great at the moment is everyone is in the right place in the system and it's perfect um, and I think you know as soon as you say something like that then then you know you do risk um, that the system breaking down a little bit um, and there's very I think there's very few positions really on the pitch where if we lost someone and brought someone else in there would be a gain um, obviously as we, we've mentioned cost and Nketiah are on the bench at the moment um, and we'll talk about them in a bit uh, but apart from that you're, you're already thinking you know you, I don't want to see anyone go off injured because I don't think there's any scenario where we would we would benefit from that um, so hopefully that's not too too diplomatic an answer but I think we would both say Pablo and then and then White and Phillips too uh, we've not mentioned Casilla um, although I saw Meslier play in in the under 23s game and he looked very good so uh, perhaps not so worrying as, as we might have thought but again that remains to be seen um, then the question the other way around who, uh, it's from Chris but not for football no wait Chris but for football um, who asks who is the biggest weakness in the side and who is the most likely prospect for the youth academy to step in and perform biggest weakness uh, going off this season the start 11 as it currently stands it's, it's practically impossible to pick a weak link so far um, I, th- I think we'll only be able to determine that as we get deeper into the season another month or so month, month or two um, but th- they've been practically faultless so far at every player that started a game um, I think if you were thinking about weaknesses that would come into play when, when we do lose a player to injury or suspension say say Ben White Picks up a knock and Berardi comes in. I like Berardi as a player, but I'm I'm really hoping that we don't have to count on him for sort of weeks and months on end because I think it just will make life more difficult for us. Forshaw's got a few yellow cards as well, hasn't he? So we could see him missing a game. Um, but yeah, it's a, again, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, um, who would I say is the biggest weakness? I don't want to go. I don't want to go down in everyone's bad books, but I'm, I've never really been a fan of what Dallas offers in terms of possession um I think he's been brilliant in the games that he's played in um and to be fair to him I'm probably basing too much of this on last season where he was thrown in at the deep end really at right back um having spent most of his career playing as a left winger um it's probably a little bit unfair to to be picky about him in terms of defensive positioning um for example um, but I wonder. I do. I do sometimes wonder about both him and Alioski in terms of in terms of the possession play. I think it's fine because, as we've mentioned, Bielsa will just tweak the system so that it suits their strengths. Um, but there are situations I think where where playing the two of them, we do we do lose out something. Um, and you know, it's all well and good as playing Dallas and Alioski against. Um, against Stoke, who 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 haven't caused us any tactical problems. Um, whereas, uh, you know, if you if you do play, if we end up with those two playing against, I don't know, maybe Fulham is maybe a good example because they've got good wide players. I'm not entirely sure whether or not I think that would be the most ideal scenario. Uh, but that is, I must caveat, but this all all this by saying this is me being very very picky. Um, and I do realise that a lot of uh, fans think that Stuart Dallas is, is arguably even the best player so far this season. So um, I would I'd be happy to stand be stood corrected on that. Um, that's that's as I said more about me just making picky comments about based on his last season as well as this season. But I don't know what you think about Dallas. We've got a question about Dallas, but maybe if we start with your opinion of it and then move move on to the question. Yeah, I can see why you would have doubts about Alioski and Dallas 
if if we're playing the the four one four one over the course of a season, I think defensively we, w- we would we would have uh, issues at one point or another playing in four one four one with those two at full back. But me- maybe that will be if you know if if the circumstance dictates that we we have to play Alioski and Dallas right back through injuries or suspensions or whatever. I, I think you would you would see be able to consider moving to the back three f- full time. Just, just because I, th- I think ha- having that bit more protection behind the, the pair of them, plus the fact that both of them are really good athletes at getting up and down that wing, the wing back, the, the wing back spots are ideal for those two. But if you're talking about orthodox fullbacks, then yeah, I agree. To clarify that as well, I would say you know it, it's playing them both together that, that worries me more there. Uh, and what we see, what we see and have seen through most of this season is, is that. The, comparative um, fullback who is is more as we've said uh, about directness and about um, pressing versus that that um, fullback who is a bit more controlled who as we've said with with Douglas is able to to um, help in the build-up play as well so for me I would much rather see a Douglas and uh, and Dallas in that sense or even if we've got Alioski and maybe even Shackleton at right back just so that you've got one of the fullbacks who I think is a bit more confident and comfortable and efficient on the ball than the other um, and I think that, you know that's what Bielsa likes asymmetry he likes being able to um, have Douglas able to do the support play on one side and then have a, a and have a, a fullback like um, Dallas who can then get on the overlap especially on the side where Hernandez is because Hernandez is de- dropping deep and so it's all about thinking about how do how do they fit into the the general structure of the team. So um, I guess for me, having Alioski and Dallas on the same team is just a bit too one dimensional, and you you're not really having one of those two able to support their corresponding wide player. Right. Um, on that note, Shane Ganley-Elsa asks, when will Ailing get into the first eleven? Does Dallas move to left back? Will Ailing get into the team before? Costa does. Um, what do you think? If if he was fit today, early, much I don't I don't think he is. It looked like he was back in training this week. I, I don't think he'd be close to to starting a game for at least two or three weeks once he gets back to full fitness. Just just because Bielsa loves loves continuity, but I think un, until Dallas has a perhaps a drop in performance, Ailing Ailing won't come in automatically in that spot. But I do think. Depending on how much we see of this back three, I think we'll, there's a chance we'll see a lot more availing at centre back this season. Maybe playing in that right centre back position. Um, just, just because I think what Dallas has shown this season is, is much more of, of a, a physical disposition for that, for that wing back position, getting up and down the pitch, which I think Ailing can struggle with at times. J- just that physicality of it, even though I do think he is, he is better on the ball, like you say. Um, makes me wonder if, if that would be better suited to playing as a, as a right centre back that could bring the ball out rather than having to fly up the pitch all the time. I think it's important to say at this point as well that Bielsa historically is not a manager who just brings back his quote unquote strongest players as soon as they come back from injury. We saw it last season. There was times when Phillips had to work to get back into the team um, when Forshaw had had a good stint in the four position. So whatever happens, you know, there's, there's going to be the, uh, a sense in which Ailing is going to have to work hard to get back in the team, even if he does come back with fitness. Um, it's not simply the case that Dallas is just going to be seeded for um, or make way for, for him. Um, in terms of Costa, um, that's an, I guess that's an interesting question. Do you see Costa as just being used as a as an impact sub um, for most of this season, or do you think there will be games where he does get a full ninety minutes? No, I, I think there will be a point where he he comes into the starting eleven. I, I just think he, he's he's still in the midst of that bealsification as a player, um, p- particularly off the ball. I think because he he will never have had to work with such intensity off the ball as he does with Bielsa and that's going to take a lot of getting used to um, and I think obviously he's played in un- under 23 games to to get minutes and fitness which which I, I do wonder sometimes how, how he processes that mentally as a player who's joined us that is going to eventually cost us 15 million that he's he's playing with the kids and sat on the bench and ha- having to earn his spot like so dramatically it's it's why Bielsa is unique and this is just how he does it. But I think once Costa comes out of that other side, 
he will be a, a serious player for us in, in a starting eleven sense. Yeah, he's too good a player and too important a player, I think, as well, that, that we we sort of leave him on the bench. Uh, I agree with you. I think we'll probably see him coming in. I guess the interesting question then is where does he come in? Does he come in ahead of Harrison or do we uh, do we see maybe a little tweak in with, with Hernandez going into the central areas? Um, interestingly enough, I guess in the 3-5-2, we saw Hernandez, sorry, I meant Hernandez going into the central area, but um, we saw Hernandez moving central in the 3-5-2 and almost playing alongside click um and and there was there was some really interesting things going on with the, with that formation if you're interested in that just check out on the twitter feed and you'll find um you'll find that thread where we looked at what happened in the in the 3-0 win against stoke um we should talk about click we've not talked about him at all really um and there's been those who have been doubting his his usefulness adam tunchai asks well he just i asked if what what people wanted us to talk about and and, and tunchai said click and his start to the season so have you got any of the stats behind what's going on this season yeah um statistically it's, it, he's been excellent so far um i remember after the bristol city game there was a few few, few murmurs that he he didn't look as effective um, in the in the true number ten role as he did last season, playing as the number eight where Forshaw is. But I think for, for the five games as a whole, he he's been brilliant um, statistically. Most open play chances created in the championship so far this season, um, and also um, if if you look at the expected goals of open play sequences, so so this is this is the involvement of of a player in a sequence of play and how that translates into a quality of a chance. Click is, has got the highest figure of any midfielder in the league so far. So it shows how involved he is in the construction of our attacks as well as, as well as the quality of him and how he's, how he's managing to f- facilitate for his teammates and play a role in those, um, chances. What do you think about the potential for Tyler Roberts to, to come back? Um, how do you think that that would change the system? Because it does feel as though the click is a very particular kind of, of number 10, uh, and Roberts would probably be played as a, as, as, as a much more attacking, um, uh, 10. So do you think that, do you think there's a chance that we could see, um, that changing or do you think again it's going to be a case of Roberts coming in as an impact sub when when we're pushing for games I, th- I think impact sub um, definitely in the short term because w- what you've got with Click in that number 10 role is incredible off ball work and making penetrating runs uh, t- to sort of take attention off Bamford or Nketiah he- he's he's playing as a number 10 but he- he's making runs as-, as if he's a striker just putting so much pressure on that back line and Obviously, Roberts, that, that's not really a feature of his game. He likes, he likes the ball at his feet, uh, make, making passes and getting involved with build-up play. So I, I think Bielsa places massive value on the work that Click does off the ball to create better conditions for us to attack as a team. Just looking up on Google to see what our fixtures are through through September, um, just to see. Obviously, there's the international break, so there's not a huge amount of uh, games in in September. So I'll I'll include Swansea City. So we've got Swansea City, Barnsley, uh, Derby, and Charlton, who are all I think tricky in their own way. Um, which you mentioned before that you think it's only a matter of time until a team comes along and causes us problems. Which one of those four do you think are the most likely to cause us problems in in, in September? I think historically, Bielsa's lead team have struggled against the more direct sides. I, th- I think when teams have tried to match us up and, and play football with us and, and press us, I think we, we just do a, a better version of that than any opponent that we can face in this league, especially this season. I think I think Norwich managed to do it at Ellen Road last season, but I think the pool of teams that can achieve that against is very small, so... I think I'd be looking at Charlton away, maybe playing a bit more of a, a physical, direct game. Um, obviously, they've had some some great results so far. I was actually at the Charlton-Brentford game last weekend. Um, I've got a friend who's a season ticket holder there, so I went along to see them and they really lucked out in that game. And I do know from a few of their other performances, having seen the highlights of those, the, um, I'm thinking like the Stoke City game where, where they scored three goals from, I think, less than 0.5 XG. Um 
Charlton really are gaming the system at the moment but you know that's that's how it goes and um, I think the Valley would be a t- tough place to go down like you say I think they're going to be the most direct team uh, of those of those four that we play against um, I'm maybe a little bit maybe a little bit worried about Swansea City but um, I think that's that's mainly because um, I don't know I'm, I, I guess I'm just like you said I'm, 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 I'm aware of the fact that there is just going to come a game where we, we do struggle and um, I think of those four I think I'm probably the most nervous about Swansea just because they've got again they've got like a, a fairly exciting front four when you think of um Bursat Selina and Andre Ayew um Jan Danda and then Borja Baston that's a fairly good f- front four so we're, we're really gonna we're really gonna see what what our defense is up to I think this weekend um so I'll say I'll say Swansea out of these four yeah that's fair I, I do think they have they have got the most attacking talent individually but I just hope we can style them a possession and make them suffer a bit more because I think that's where we'll have the big advantage. Yeah, I watched them at the weekend playing, was it Hull? Birmingham, was it? Oh, maybe it was Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I saw that game and they play they play 4-2-3-1 and they play their double pivot so deep um, and they take a long time to transition out of it. So I'm sort of hoping that, that we, we sort of press them hard when we lose possession and then they don't really come anywhere near us when we're in possession so I do think that I'm probably being a little bit too kind on them tactically but again as I've said you know as we've said of Fulham like it's all well and good we can do everything right and then they can nick a couple of goals and that's that so um, and that that is, that is in fact that so getting to the end uh, of this podcast just a few bits of housekeeping um, we've we've done quite a lot in the last month that's happened um, we have a Substack newsletter um, we put out a lot of content on a lot of platforms we have a twitter um we have a twitter account obviously where the previews and reviews go up um we have uh, now a love sport radio show which goes out on friday nights between 8 p.m and 9 p.m we have a medium blog um, which hopefully isn't stepping on the toes of the lufc blog which you should also check out which is uh, jamie's Leeds united uh, blog um and so to, to account for all of these different platforms, we what we have is a Substack newsletter, which is just an email newsletter that every time we put something out, be it a, a Twitter thread or a, a podcast or a uh, or a medium post it just goes out on there as well so it'll go straight into your um into your email inbox um so you won't miss anything if you sign up to that if you want to sign up to that the um, url is all stats on we.substack.com you can sign up for free there um it doesn't require anything else as i said we have a love love sport radio show that's available uh, online at www.lovesportradio.com um as i said friday nights between 8 p.m and 9 p.m have a different guest than me and then matt beadle the the anchor um, and we hopefully get in um, people from opposition podcasts to talk about the game that weekend uh, and we're trying to get in um, some Leeds United grandees as well so um, hopefully Graham Smith this this weekend or this Friday will come on and have a chat to us about his experience of covering Leeds uh, and then as I said the Medium blog so check out things there I've already mentioned Callum's piece on Douglas versus Alioski but Josh Hobbs who helps me out with the Twitter account uh, has got pieces on Shackleton and Harrison and Joe Morgan has got a piece on Leeds first half woes from last season whether or not we've overcome those but all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for listening and also thank you Jamie for coming on um, hopefully we will be in a good position when we when we come back in a month's time we've had those four games out of the way and hopefully Leeds will still be top of the division deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.